Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and tonight's very special guests, all the way from down under in Australia. We have last year's event in October where we introduced Chris Winspear from Volume 36 with his story, The Trade. We also have Michael Gardner from Down Under in Volume 36 with Foundations. And this year for the Federation, we have J.A. Becker. And uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Pleasure awesome. to be here. Awesome to be here. Thank you. All right. So you definitely have that uh, Canadian... <laughs> yeah. Those, I, that Canadian manners. I'm a I'm a Canadian that uh, also uh, Australian. Uh, so I'm I got I got the both. So I don't sound quite like these guys, um, but I got the little bit of a yeah. You're like in. no walkers. Thank how you. Long, how long have you been in uh, <laughs> Australia now? Five years. Okay. Yeah. So that's why you still got your Canadian accent. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever lose it. So no worries, eh? That's <laughs> <laughs> we won't hold it against you. <laughs> this podcast i really wanted to do specifically with the australians so we could we could really just blanket australia with for anybody's an aspiring writer or artist to take advantage of this contest we've got two of our more storied judges who are from the australia new zealand area we got sean williams from australia and sean tan from uh, new zealand who are all um winners back in the uh, first Within the first 20 years, they were the winners and uh, gone on to amazingly successful careers. And you probably, several of you know some of the other winners, you know, Cat Rambo. And we've got probably a dozen or so from Australia over the, over the years, but now three more here. So um, to start with, what was, what's been your, your uh, timeline like as, as an author? I'll start with you, Chris. You were the, as the grand prize winner last year or two years ago with your story, The Trade. So... On becoming an author, is this something you've always wanted to do, or is this something that came later on after some? Uh, yeah, I, I started writing when I was fifteen. I started writing a novel on paper by hand. I basically did everything wrong. My first novel, every single possible thing to do wrong. Um, and then when I was twenty. I tried to fix it by just adding more. So I had this like two hundred thousand word short action thriller, you know. Which didn't, didn't go anywhere. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I kind of had this epiphany that, oh, maybe, you know, writing is a lot of work and doesn't really get you anywhere. And, and I thought, oh, okay, maybe I'll just put this down for a bit. And then within six months, I had a different idea and I was writing the next book. And then a similar thing happened. That didn't kind of, I mean, it was a lot better. It was a sci-fi. It was, you know, kind of a, um, you know, they go to a spaceship. They think they're just there to fix the aircon, but no, someone's been murdered and there's a conspiracy on board and they've got to investigate. That kind of book. Sounds good, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I got a few, uh, the query letters got a few, like, requests to see the magic, but didn't really, didn't really take off. And every time, the madness kept coming back and I kept writing another book, another book, until I uh, eventually did a master's because I figured, like, I'm obviously cursed. I might as well get good at, get good at this thing. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, started writing short stories and one of the short stories I wrote since those days, uh, the trade was, yeah, lucky enough to, uh, win the contest. Well, excellent. And Michael, yourself. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, when I 
I used to love sort of doing creative writing in high school. I had a, a very encouraging English teacher. I used to love uh, Clive Barker, if anyone knows him, sure. uh, Cosmic Horror. And uh, I had an English teacher when she was in teaching us Jane Austen, but I was writing stories about decapitations and awful things like that. And she would still encourage me. Um, so I very much enjoyed that. But uh, it was a bit odd. It was that era I got to that stage and then it was like, well, now you've got to get a real job. And, you know, I, I put that aside and instead I went into uh, studying finance and economics, which was so far removed from that it wasn't funny. And to be honest, I, I think one of the, the biggest bits of advice that I sort of missed out on was uh, where do you put these short stories? Where do you sell them? I didn't know. So that's that's why I put that aside. I didn't do a lot with it. I mean, it, it didn't stop my mind from wandering, but I didn't do a lot until I was in my mid-30s and my sister bought me a, um, uh, a basically a course, writing course, and um, the person who ran the writing course in Canberra, Australia, where I'm from, which is the little known capital people don't understand, but it was Ian McHugh, who was a grand mm, prize winner yeah. of the Writers of the Future in 2008, I believe. Yeah. Um, so that's not only where I found out you can actually send short stories somewhere, but I found out about this competition uh, and he was amazing, uh, read an amazing course. And I, I kind of got inspired after that. And I went back out and I said, you know what, I'm going to write a short story. And I sent it off and I sent it off to an Australian magazine who was nice enough to actually say, you got past a first reader. And that just gave me that encouragement. And so I, I went from there. And so I'd say from the last uh, six, seven years, I've been uh, writing a lot again. Um, this competition in particular was my dream. I used to joke with my wife that I wanted to come over here and do this. And she'd laugh at me because she thinks my stories are very strange and not particularly to her taste, but um, that was that was the main thing that got me to where I was at the moment, and, and winning this has been a bit of a, a dream. That's great. You're next. Uh, with me, um, I actually started with Ron Hubbard's work. I, when, I was, uh, much, when I was younger, I read uh, one of his stories called um, Devil's Manhunt, and it was just like this action, adventure, thrill ride that was just like absolutely exciting. And when I read it, I, I just wanted to do that. I wanted somebody to read something that I had read and go on kind of like an adventure like that. And so that was, I tried to replicate the story and I was, it was just like absolute garbage. And then I was kind of like, just, I never like submitted it because it was just, you know, never like good enough in my mind to actually go anywhere. But I just kept on trying different action adventure stories and reading, reading more, of, more and more of his work. And eventually, you know, like many years later, I, I kind of, connected that he actually had a writing contest and I began to submit. So I've been submitting to the Writers of the Future for like quite a long time. I'm probably like the oldest person here who's submitted for the longest and never really won anything. I just kind of got up to the point, I think, where I was like a silver honorable mention was like the highest one. And then I kind of gave up and then I just gave it one last solid kick at the can and I was able to actually, surprise, surprise, be here now with the, with the win. So it was, it was really what his work that like inspired me um, to kind of like live that action adventure and make people like want to feel something with your writing. So that's, that's kind of like how I flowed. That's great. So on the subject of science fiction and fantasy, like, what's the scene like there in Australia for science fiction and fantasy? It's it's interesting because the the lo the local publishers aren't shy of publishing YA sci-fi and fantasy, but you'll have difficulty uh, selling adult sci-fi and fantasy. So a lot of the Australian authors tend to look to the U.S. market in particular to publish their their work. Um, 
And I, I guess also, like when I did the Masters um, at UTS, so many of the writers were actually writing spec fic, which is what we call sci-fi and fantasy sometimes. Um, but they, they felt obliged to enter literary magazines because that was just sort of the dumb thing. And they didn't realize that, yeah, this, literary magazines are great, but um, they, they are after a different sort of story and they, they have a different focus compared to, um, I guess, the mind experiments that you can find in the sci-fi magazines in particular. Um, so yeah, I guess we are kind of becoming a little bit of a satellite to the, to the U S market, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, contests like this are kind of great because they, they give Australians a chance to get a level of support that we don't always get back at home. Like we don't get to hang out with, um, Kevin J. Addison too often. I know he came to Supernova six years ago or something, but you know, it's pretty rare that, uh, authors of Caliber come over to Australia. Um, so this has been crazy to see this, like. Yeah, amount of totally stars. There's here. nothing like this in Australia, or, no, or in Canada, or, where, or wherever. Honestly, nowhere on the world. Yeah, no, it's amazing because you're going to have. Obviously, you just had Robert J. Sawyer speak with yeah, you. Yeah, you, you know, and Tim Powers, Jody Lee, and I, obviously. But then um, you've got uh, also about ready to speak with you. Or you, you had Todd McCaffrey tonight, mm-hmm. and then you'll have um, Dean Wesley Smith. He would happen to be the first person to be awarded. 38 years yep. ago. Yeah. Uh, Nini Kriak, Ricky Hoffman will be here tomorrow. Uh, Larry Niven will be speaking with you. And they're also friendly too. It's not yeah. like, like I've, I've, I've done Worldcon before. I've actually even spoken at Worldcon uh, about 3D printing. Uh, and there's a lot of people and you do see the stars from a distance, but we had the chance to like get a beer with these guys and hang out. And that's just blowing my mind a little bit. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. When we're doing this, you'll probably be down at... Um, the bar con. Yeah, the bar con. As it's, as yeah. it's, it's professionally called. Yeah. Exactly. Affectionately <laughs> called, yeah. Otherwise, for the purpose of, um, of this podcast, it's, it was misnomered bar con. It's actually an AMA, Ask Me Anything, with the, uh, with the judges downstairs where there's chairs. And, and, you, can, and they, you can and they want you to ask questions. Yeah. They want and they're actually like really friendly and not standoffish, which I was, I don't know why I was expecting that, but they want you to ask them questions. And they're like, I was talking to Robert J. Sawyer and he want, he's going to come back to me because he wants to think about one of the questions <laughs> that I asked him. And it's, they're just so friendly. It's inapproachable. It's just, it's amazing, honestly. For them, is it, like I said, when we were doing our drilling a little bit ago, they really, really, you know, treasure this moment, you know, that they're able to spend with you you are where they were 20, 30 years ago. I mean, Robert Sawyer was writing to the contest as a young author. And it was Algis Budras, the then coordinating judge, who gave him a three-page critique to his story as a, as a finalist. And he did the things to it, turned his short story to a novel, sold it, and disqualified himself for the contest. Kevin Anderson ended 19 times, and then he proed out. Uh, Nina Kariki Hoffman was a winner. Dave Farland was obviously a winner in volume three. Sean Williams was a winner. Uh, Eric Flint was a winner. Um, Dean Wesley Smith published in volume one. So it's, you know, that's, in the illustrators, we have a similar type thing. You know, it's, it's now, you, you, it makes sense in almost four decades that you're going to have that, you know, the wheel keeps on turning there. And so what happened for them, they want to do it for the next, you know, generations. And, Hopefully down the line, then some of you will be in that position as well, because we're definitely not North American centric. 
you know, with this contest. You know, for sure. Even like I said, with it's hard to get Sean over here. That's a fact. You know, either the Sean's Sean Tan will come when he finally his kids grow up enough that he can actually get away for a week. And Sean Williams just he's a professor now, so just getting him when he's not teaching, that's that's really rough. And that's the problem we had with with Orson Scott Card. He loves teaching it, but he's a professor as well. Cat's box might come. She's very enthusiastic. Really? Yeah, yeah. If you if you I would love to. Just yeah, after yeah. this, let me know and I'll Cat, I want you yeah, to come. I'm not going to speak for Cat, <laughs> but I would say, get up, Cat. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you have, though. No, I remember when Sean Williams presented her in Seattle. That was the year that I also met um, Octavia Butler, and um, where she became a judge, like I said, for that short period of time. But that's where I met Cat Sparks when Sean gave her her award. That was, uh, that was amazing. And we like to have that, you know, just keep on passing it down. There's so much great talent. Yeah, if I could ever be in a position where I'm, like, paying it back to the community, I would be <laughs> very grateful and uh, lucky. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, Rob Sawyer, when we flew him out, I, I met him originally at uh, TorCon, and that was interesting, too, because Owen Hubbard had attended TorCon 1, and I had a photo of him that I presented at the convention, at the opening ceremony. I presented it, and... I arranged this that the guy who was the con chair in 1940, whatever, what, 44, when he was there, was there to present, to be to receive the uh, the photo. We blew it up in really nice framed and presented it to him. But it was like hundreds of people were there at that presentation. Just they didn't know that. It was like, there was Owen Hubbard standing next to John Dibby Campbell and several other the bigger names of science fiction at that time and in Toronto. Yeah. So... On um, the whole thing of, of being a writer, like for yourself, Chris, what's, what makes it so important to you to be a writer? I think I keep writing because I can't stop the ideas um, coming to my mind. This sounds like I have some sort of, <laughs> I'm on the verge of developing schizophrenia, but um, I, I, I'm pretty much right because I had these ideas, I had these great thoughts and I... And I just want to give them some life. And I, want, I almost want to share what seems in my mind like a, a beautiful world. I've also traveled a lot. I've traveled, you know, I, I was in South America for six months. And that made me obsessed with traveling. So then I was in Korea for a year. I lived in upstate New York for a year. So I've seen a lot of beautiful things. And I, I just like the um, ability to share. I'm not only just sharing my stories. Because everywhere I go, I talk to people, right? And so I like to just share that wisdom and share that beauty uh, with the world. I guess that's what inspires me. Um, and also, uh, yeah, just the ideas and inability to stop, I guess, is also what's happening. Good. A writer has to write. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Okay. What about you, Michael? Yeah. Um, a little bit of what Chris is saying resonates. I mean, you know, sort of, you don't stop thinking about certain scenarios. And I think there's a point whether, you know, I'm putting it on paper or in my own head or just talking to people. I feel like someone who's always putting together stories and, and thinking about stories, but, um, I'm sort of reflecting a bit on what Tim Powers was sort of saying in our course today. Why do you then put that into written form and send it out to a magazine? I think there is an element where, you know, you want to show off a little bit. You want to sort of uh, get your ideas out there, have people talk to you about it. So it is a buzz even when I go out to first readers and, you know, you get reactions back. I've said to many people over this week, I have a great bunch of first readers, one who will stare me in the face and say, I absolutely hated that. And 
it guts me every time. That's but your like, wife, we, right? <laughs> no, no, my my wife won't read my stuff. So. <laughs> She's wonderfully supportive <laughs> with hating everything I do, but it's fine. <laughs> but uh, she gives me the time to write it. No, no, it's a very good mate, but. I find like we have a debate about things and um, the idea of then putting stuff out and uh, having others read that, I, I think that's, um, you know, it's good to put your ideas in paper, put them somewhere, as you said, but also hopefully occasionally put a few interesting thoughts out there which get people talking, debating and maybe debating with myself, I think. That's great. And should I just make it, just say J-A? Sure. I'm easy. <laughs> no, my my parents call me John Anthony Becker, and then they just called me Tony for the whole my whole life. So it's a bit of a confusion for basically everybody. John Anthony or Tony, yeah. whichever you prefer. So, yeah, Tony or J A or John. It's uh, it's it's no worries. I'm I'm the same. I'm like a mixture of them. Um, of of like a compulsion to write, um, and then wanting like the intellectual stimulation of it, and then the other bit too, which is like tying back to what I was saying in the beginning, is like. I want to put people in like the emotional and make them feel something, the same thing that you felt when you read something. It was something like, it's not like I want to like raise consciousness or whatever, but definitely um, make them feel something, make them like excited, sad, happy, um, sort of raise their sort of state or even drop their state of being. Cause it's just, I don't know, there's something inside you that just wants to, 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 to do that, you mm -hmm. know, like it's just a, I don't think I can quantify it, but it's just wanting somebody to feel something and, uh, and sharing it's, it's kind of wrapped up like that. Oh, good. So now Chris, you got a story called the trade. So what's the trade about? So the trade's uh, first contact story, and it, it uh, and also what inspired it too. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it kind of came from um, the Fermi paradox, which I always find inspiring. But also, I was <laughs> researching. You always find it inspiring. Always find inspiring. I'm happy for what a great you. question. Um, <laughs> what was it? Oh yeah, I, I found this. Um, I don't know a resource online where you could go and do a virtual tour of the International Space Station. Like, you could do virtual tour of a house. Um, and I was just looking at all the gross, uh, beautiful detail. The astronauts explain how the, how the hatches work and, and we've got these blue handlebars and how we get around. Um, and it occurred to me that if anyone is going to make contact, the most convenient people to have a face-to-face -face conversation with are the few people already in orbit on that space station. So I was like, oh, yeah, so this huge ship doesn't want to land. It can just pop over there and have a chat with someone. And that just started the, the, the kind of balls uh, rolling. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, in the end, the, the, I think a star of the show is this sort of um, this alien who comes, and he's got all the technology in the world, but he comes across a bit like a, like a secondhand car salesman. Yeah. Because he, he's like throwing all these solutions to climate change, all this stuff out there, but uh, you know it's all for a price. Uh, and he's kind of like really charming, um, you know, jokey personality. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's actually one of the most upbeat stories I write, uh, and I've, I'm trying to like write more upbeat stuff lately because I'm noticing it tends to do better, and I think it like brings out a, a side of me which is a bit nicer. You can otherwise I can just get really dark sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. We'll keep you upbeat. <laughs> yeah. Keep me happy. <laughs> Everything's better that way. Okay, good. No, so, Michael, Foundations. Yours was a, a really interesting, creepy story, which was, you know, all these stories are fascinating. Like I said, we got yours 
And then yours, anyway, go ahead on that because it's it, I've never read a story like that before. Yeah, so less upbeat uh, <laughs> than Chris's, but... Depends on your point of view, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, thanks, John. Um, mine, I think, uh, look, the core of it is about family. Um, I've probably taken to a little bit of an extreme, and it's a, <laughs> it's a um, family responsibilities that go uh, back generations, but the generations live on by being walled into the house itself. And I think ultimately it's about the pressure on a young teenage girl, which probably is not myself, but I was a young teenage boy once. And it's that point in life where you feel those, uh, the breaking, I suppose, of family bonds and family expectations and whether you're striving out for yourself or not. And that's really what the story was about. Um, so instead of the house of Usher, it's the house of Becker. That, well, that's <laughs> that's me. <John>. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I think um, yeah, like that. That's what it's about. I think starting with that story, um, I'm someone pretty visual. I always imagine odd things, and uh, the thing that got me going on that story was an image of of all things a grandmother walled up into the basement of a house, but. Uh, not necessarily in a horrific was way. Was there something really that, that sparked that from like a real life story that you read? No, not That's not good. Not particularly. <laughs> good. I'm I'm happy. No. No. <laughs> no, no, it was just a idea and um yeah, I, I I think in the end, like it sounds awful, but uh the idea I went with it is uh Grandma D in the story who is walled up, she's actually um quite a a positive, responsible um, influence in that house, even though it sounds like she's in a horrific situation in some ways. But um, the story was very much about the daughter and the father. And I think that sometimes is a reflection of a lot of my stories deal with family. And I think sometimes it's me reflecting on my own parents and sometimes with two young kids, um, maybe a little bit of creeping in the worry of what am I doing to ruin them, you know. So I think that's what the story was about. I get it. No, it was... It was Obviously, it was all these stories are obviously amazing stories because they're winners. They're they're published from the future. We don't do anything other than the top best of the best, which you guys all obviously all three are. So, Mr. J. A. Tony John, fellow Canadian Australian, for the Federation. I do not have a good story like they do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll be honest. My, 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 my kind of, my drive was desperation. Like the, the writers of the future has four quarters and they all, and they all ended on the, I had, I, the last quarter was on uh, December 3rd. Oh, the first quarter is on December 31st, yeah. but it's like the end of the year. And as every writer out there, they're like, I've got to do something by the end of the year. And I had a story mapped out and a story planned and it just fell apart like, two weeks before the, the the contest was done. And I was like, I might as well submit this one. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself. This is, you know, I'll just see if I, I'm going to, I've already, gonna, I'm already going to lose. There's no, I have, <laughs> I've got nothing to lose because I've already lost. So I'm just going to like, just go for it and just write it. And so there was no inspiration. It was just desperation. And I just kind of like float along and threw everything out that I had, that I'd started with. And I ended up with this story that is, um, I'm pretty proud of actually. Um, so a little bit, describe the story a bit, because it's, it's fascinating, but. The story. Anybody here knows about your story except for me. The story is, the, there's a desperate woman in this story. And I think maybe some of my desperation perhaps leaked through into the story um, with her. And she's trying to save her her son, basically, um, from, I don't want to give too much away, but these things in, in, his, in his head. And she's somebody who's, like, not a very, she's not a 
she's not a capable mother. She's like, um, she's somebody who's like an Imperial Guard who's like very like genetically modified to be like incredibly fast and strong. And so her motherhood. She's the most kick beep female you have ever read in any story ever yeah so she's like she's indestructible yet there's like this thing where it's like she doesn't know how to be a mother and she doesn't know how to like care for for somebody yet but she, she so wants to be yeah yeah she has to because her son is like dying and so there was this kind of float along from there and like there is desperation in what she's trying to do yeah. she only has so long and i only had so long before the contest <laughs> as well so it was one of those things where where you don't kind of like you don't have the time to overthink you don't have the time to over edit and then you just kind of like just push it out and like never expect to hear from it again um and then i heard Joni call me like months and months later and it was like the wrong number or something or she had, <laughs> i felt like she'd mixed it up uh, and called the wrong person but yeah that's i don't really have a great inspiration story other than the desperation of of a deadline <laughs> really well, that's what Kevin Anderson said. That's the reason, that was his, one of the things that he most got out of Rise of the Future was learning to write for deadline. That was his, that was his inspiration. Sometimes just that alone, I've got to get my story in. I've got to get my story in. So on, um, you made a comment about your call from Joni. So any particular, besides it was the wrong number, any other reaction you had to getting that call from Joni that you were a finalist and then the call that you were a winner? Yeah, I, I just kind of didn't believe it, honestly. Um, I knew that the I knew the contest, and I knew that you that you would get called, but I, I wasn't nervous between the thing because I assumed that it was not going to happen. I was just so sure that it wasn't because I'd been submitting for so long, and I never even got enough phone call or finalists in the first place. So it wasn't really a, a big thing for me. It was a wrong number. I didn't really believe it was her, but she convinced me it was. And we had a little we had a little chat about actually some of Ron Hubbard's work. So I was pretty sure it actually was her. And then um when she called me back to tell me that uh, I had won, I was absolutely flabbergasted and, and shocked and delighted because it was it was huge for me. It was absolutely massive. Well that's great. I mean you've been working at it you said for uh... like way too long. <laughs> no <laughs> no it it takes as long as it takes. Um yeah. but yeah, submitting to the contest for a long time, um reading and, and, and writing and taking courses to try to improve yourself over over the course of time. Yeah. That's great. What about yourself, Michael? Ah, yeah, look, it's a, a very, very fond memory, the first time I heard from Joni. Um, uh, I I'd been submitting to the contest for a while as well. I think I had um uh, maybe not quite as long as Tony, but I definitely had a couple of silver honourable mentions and a couple of honourable mentions. And as I mentioned before, a joke with my wife, ongoing joke, I'm, this is the aim, I'm going to get this thing, we're going to go over to LA, that sort of stuff. Um, and when I put the story in, I, th I thought it was, you know, pretty good, but you never know with these things. Um, and I think Joni has in her head that I screen my calls for her because I don't think I've ever picked up the phone when she's called me directly. And the first time she rang me to tell me I was a finalist, we were actually travelling overseas the last time before COVID hit, so the last time since this trip. And uh, we'd hit in Australia a bit of a black spot. There was no mobile reception and we pulled up and Dings has a message and it was Joni there and I was trying to work out how to actually call her <laughs> back and what the country code was and stuff. Um, and yeah, she explained the finalist thing and like, I was very excited about that. Um, but instantly I overthink these things and you sit there going, well, three and eight chance. I mean, that's great. And I'll be really happy, but then I'll also be disappointed. And is that like, you know, a chance, etc. Um, 
we end up flying over to Bali, Indonesia with our kids and with some friends, which was really nice. And again, when Joni called the next time, I didn't have my phone with me and I went straight to message bank again <laughs> and the frantic sort of, you need to call me now sort of thing. Um, and again, as I was trying to work out country codes while being in another country and how, she called me again. Um, and I always remember it was uh, very exciting that my friends and family who by now knew this was a possibility all left me by myself to take the phone call. And she told me I got the second and I went back and they were all lined up. There was about seven of us and kids over there just waiting to hear. And when I told them, uh, there was a lot of men embracing men and being very happy and deciding to go out <laughs> to drinks and stuff. So yeah, it was a, it was a great, great memory that I'm very, very fond of. That's great. And you, Mr. Chris. Yeah, so she calls me and says, uh, at first I'm like, Jody? No, Joni. No, Jody? No, Joni. Um, but yeah, once we clear that up and figure out who it was, uh, she, she says, congratulations, you're a finalist. You, you might be one of the winners who gets to go to LA and do all these things. And I mean, might? Why are you doing this to me? I can't sleep at the best of times. Now I'm just going to be like completely distraught until you tell me where I'm going or not. Why? 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 Um, so fortunately she called me the next day, so I didn't have to, I didn't have too long in, um, in stasis. Uh, but yeah. And then she tells me that, you know, I won, I won first place and I was just, yeah, completely incredulous. And I was watching, actually when she called me, I was watching the, uh, recording of the ceremony, um, because I hadn't, I hadn't actually done that yet. And I was watching the the ceremony thinking like, wow, like how cool would it be to win? And then she calls me and I kind of, yeah, I just was over the moon because I, I've been writing for so long and I never got that much attention, that much recognition from anything I'd done before. So I would say, yeah, the, the biggest, uh, I guess, prize is just a huge wave of encouragement. Uh, and you've been writing for a long time. You know, we get a lot of rejection letters. We get really mm-hmm. hard, you know. Uh, so that wave of encouragement is, for me, it was just a real push, I guess, to keep going, to keep trying. Um, and yeah, you know, see what happens. I'm kind of pitching a new book at the moment. Um and I've got another book lined up. We'll see what happens. It's still going, basically. Awesome. That's great. So what um, did any of you take the online writing workshop? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. So what was that like? Uh, it's pretty good. I particularly enjoyed uh, the sections from Orson Scott Card. Um, there was one part where he said, oh, this part about endings is great. He's like, your ending, stop freaking out about your ending, right? Your ending is just whatever momentum you've got in your story, just, just let it glide down to where it's supposed to end. It should be completely effortless. And then boom, there you are, you've landed. That's your ending. If it's not effortless, then that means there's something, there's actually an earlier issue. Like you've got to change the middle or you've got to change the beginning. Because uh, uh, if, you, if you force the ending to go in a certain way, then it's going to not read like... Um, like a, you know, I guess a natural story. It's going to read as if the author came in there and like wrangled the characters to where they were supposed to be. Um, and that's completely, I've just found it so helpful because now, yeah, I, you know, I actually rewrote the ending of this uh, novel, sort of Arabian Nights inspired novel I'm pitching at the moment um, based on that advice. And yes, it was just completely like, just calm down, let it land what it's supposed to. Oh, it, it feels much better now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So now on, um, on the workshop itself that you've been going through this week, what's been like the highlight for you so far? Uh, I just think, um, for, first of all, like Tim and 
Jody, I'm just so impressed with how they riff off each other. It's like they've been doing this for like 50 years together. Yeah, this or is something. the first time. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. But uh, they're sort of amazing, but they're not like necessarily um, giving the same advice. You're getting nice iterations on it. Um, there's even been some interesting, you know, uh, differences of opinion along the way. Um, but I, I've really been. Um, you know, quite impressed with sort of uh, the advice they've passed on about writing in general, but probably a lot of the stuff I've I've never turned my mind to as much um, on, you know, the business side, the representation side, what's next about, you know, um, different views on how to get an agent, what to do with an agent, when to get an agent, um, the business side of publications, things like that. Um, so even if I'm, I'm not quite, you know, like, Chris pitching a novel or anything or up to that stage, they're the sort of things I feel like uh, they're not as readily available just by having a chat to your writing group or um, gathering online. And I found that really, really insightful and helpful uh, and hopefully something I can apply in the future in a couple of years when I'm ready for that sort of thing. Great. And yourself, Tony? Uh, the coolest bit is kind of the people, not even, I mean, the judges are awesome as well, but it's like meeting these guys, um, and, and become, Did you know each other before? No, we didn't. We didn't know. We we all kind of came on the same flight and kind of met at the airport. And then just knowing them and meeting them and knowing, uh, just it's absolutely fantastic and inspiring to meet all these other people as well. Um, so I don't know. The, the the judges are awesome too, and learning a ton, which you will learn a lot, a, a lot. But also the people and 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 that there's other people out there in your the same struggles as you and. Um, what they've done and how they're thinking of things and advice and tips and stuff like that. Uh, it, it's the community of people as well that that's probably the best part of it. Great. And yourself, Chris? Uh, yeah, we just actually had a session today with Robert... Jay Sawyer. Yeah. Jay Sawyer. I was going to say, forgive me if I mispronounce this. Um, and he he hit this this concept, which has kind of been occurring to me lately, but did very well, which is... And they don't talk about it. I've done, I've done a master's of creative writing. They don't, they don't mention this, which is, uh, I guess, the, the saleability or the significance of your work is not just about how well it's written, but it's the, the theme of, of your work or, or the, I guess, the, the topic and the crux of it and whether that's of interest to people. For some reason, writers don't often talk about that. They just, they're all about, oh, it's a great story. But does anyone care about that story, you know? It's actually a huge element as to what makes a good seller or what makes a significant work. I feel like journalists are actually more aware of that space than, than we are. Um, so, yeah, and, and it, I've, I've got to the point now where I have too many ideas and not have time to write them. So I have a, I have a folder called Novel Ideas. There's about 12 half-baked outlines of novels in there. Um, and, yeah, from now on, basically, when it comes time to write a new novel, I basically will go through there and I will think about which of these topics or which one of these ideas can be applied to a topic most significant. Right. Um, and yeah, hopefully that will kind of you know steer my work some in the future. We'll see. Stay tuned. We are definitely tuned. <laughs> so um, in Australia, what would have helped you along the way as an aspiring writer with whatever the whatever the the barriers are in Australia? What would be the things that would be best you know that you'd love to see resolved or improved upon? to improve the scene of science fiction and fantasy in Australia? Uh, I think Canberra's got a good community going on. I think Sydney needs to uh, do a better job of gathering a spec fic community. I don't know 
if we need to make a guild similar to how Canberra does. But a lot of the Specific writers I know who work in Sydney were working in silos, working, you know, in the dark for way too long. And it's only after that we've kind of found each other and been able to share stories with each other that we, we're starting to get to some level of success. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess this competition is great because it's free to enter. You've got nothing to lose. You know, uh, if you think you're entering, stop thinking, just enter. Just add it to your list of places to put stories. Uh, yeah, because one of the things you can get out of it, oh, and even the forums, you don't even have to be a winner. You can go to the forums uh, there and you can start looking for a bit of a community of like-minded writers uh, we also have the Rise of the Future together. Forum, too. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, that's, with that. That's yeah, that's what I meant. The, yeah, that's, Rise of the yeah, Future Forum. Okay, forum good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Good. And do you have any thoughts of what would improve the scene? Uh, I think, um, I mean, this is always a hard one because I suppose it's partly a commercial thing, but um, I'm really grateful. We have a couple of great speculative fiction magazines, I think, in Australia. They're mm -hmm. not necessarily um, professional, um, but we've got Orialis and Andromeda Spaceways. I mean, Orialis has been pro at some stage. Um, and I think they're very good at providing on uh, personal feedback on stories. Um, but I think over the years, and even in the short time I've been doing it, I feel like more small Australian magazines have dropped out of the market than have been added. Um, Unfortunately, and, that's been happening. Yeah, not just in Australia. Yeah. So look, uh, it's you know, there's uh, obviously there's no easy fix there, I suppose. But with the shrinking market, I just think um, magazines that are actually um, dedicated to promoting uh, at least some space, like Orialis has two out of three stories go to Australian authors. Um, that I think very much helps. That's all. Mm -hmm. And any thoughts? Um, I think I just echoing on what Chris said is just uh, forums and kind of joining up. I think the other thing too for me was like it's, it's I don't know people, some people think that the writers of the future is like it's like fixed or it's not a, like a, a real thing. But like going on the forums and you can actually chat. Like I was talking to chatting with Martin Shoemaker um, on the forums like probably eight years ago or something. And he was responding. And I don't know, it was just kind of like the disconnection on whether or not he wasn't like, didn't seem like it was a real person, but like those are real people out there. And the people on those forums are actually like there to, even like Wolf Moon, who's uh, who's like, I think he's the forum administrator right now. He's giving advice and chatting and they're even doing like offering to do critiques and things like that. So if there isn't like a... Um, like a community out there to to support you. That actually is a community there to to support you, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all really nice. And uh, you can read back on the forum posts going back years and years. So there's like a rich sort of history there of things. So that's the best thing that I could is just knowing about it and 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 being a follower and and a, and a reader and a and a and a and a communicator on it would probably help. That's great. Now, what do you think about the idea of? There's been, like I said at least a dozen past winners, possibly even closer to 20 over the years. If I were to give, put together a list of all these winners for you guys to like start rounding them up and start knitting together a writing group that, you know, because you've all been helped and be willing to help others. And then you can help yourself along the way too, just with that reassurance. Because I mean, Kevin Anderson still boasts that he's the most rejected author out there, but he's also in America, the probably the highest paid science fiction author. You know, he was, I mean, 20 years ago, he was saying I had over 750 rejections. Yeah, the big bowl he would keep. I'm catching up. Catching up real quick. <laughs> I'm about 300 at the moment. He's in his rear view. <laughs> yeah. He's in your rear view. Yeah. 
But if we were to go through and just um, go through all, you know, all the, all the past winners and just, because I'm sure Sean would, would, would want to chip in on that and help out, and both Sean's actually, to, um, to help on that and just make it more available because we've gotten way more international now with the contests because well, the podcast now reaches 120 countries. And with that many people entering, like we've got winners from 10 countries in this volume represented now. So that, that's, that's crazy, you know, that we've got that much diversity. So um, I'd, I'd like to propose that. And if so, then you, know, you guys could, we could work together and have to put that, because I think it'd be great to getting a, a group there dedicated to someone that really wants to, to go. And I know Kat Sparks has, has had a strong desire to help, you know, and it might need also just others to work there so it's not just all on one's shoulders. Yeah, definitely. Hit us up. Oh, good. Yeah, I think so. Anyway. Oh, I'd love to help. Yeah. yeah. So now on, um, you said you got a couple novels, um, Chris, but so you want to, are you going to continue doing short fiction or are you going to do just keep it on, on the novels now or what's your? I think I am probably stronger in novels. Like even the, so one of the things we do in this, in this week is a 24 hour story. And I was looking at the story and it kind of occurred to me that I, tried to write a novel in around 3,000 words. <laughs> it wasn't really a, like a scene. It was kind of like 21 years of this guy's life told rapidly. Anyway, so it was not that bad, but I just think my inclination is more expansive mm -hmm. than I can tend to do in a short story. Um, but that said, meeting so many short story writers here, and from what we've learned, I think it, and particularly knowing that we can just rapidly shoot out a short story. And I used to be such a perfectionist with short stories. I used to do 14 edits for the short story. Just like, maybe I'll just do one for fun, do a couple edits, let it go. That might actually be, that might be great. Because, um, yeah, I always say to like any, any aspiring authors, there's probably a few aspiring authors listening, um, you've got to make sure that writing is fun. Because it makes, it takes a long time to get anywhere, a long time to get any recognition. So you've got to make sure you're doing it for yourself and you'll make sure that you don't push yourself too hard and get too perfectionist to the point where it's not longer fun. You've got to enjoy yourself. Um, a good metaphor is, for some reason, when people start writing, everyone immediately says, like, oh, you've been published? But like if someone picks up a guitar and starts learning guitar, no one says, when's your next concert? When's your album coming out? No one says that, right? Yeah. So just like when you start writing, you are like the person picking up the guitar. It's going to take a little bit of time to get into it. So make sure you enjoy it. Try and find some people to, you know, play guitar with, make a band, whatever you might do. Uh, and it'll be, you know, a more pleasurable that's experience. That's, that's very good advice there. And it's also, the forum is definitely about that. Because you're not going to find somebody, you're guaranteed you're not going to find somebody that's going to like rain on your parade. Because a person's allowed to rain once, they're given a warning, they do it again, they're banned from the forum. You know, that's just, that's not part of any successful pattern of making a writer, you know. What about yourself? Uh, I feel like I'm a real contrast to Chris. I uh, love short stories. I read a lot of short stories. Um, I certainly, you know, haven't ruled out at some stage doing some longer stuff. I've, I've explored doing, you know, novella length kind of things. Um, but yeah, short stories for the immediate future. Um, uh, love a rejection letter. I think Tony and I were talking this morning about uh, middle of this 24-hour challenge. Yeah. We both opened our emails this morning and just to give us a boost with uh, what we were drafting, we had a 
form rejection waiting for us both. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got actually three over the last two days. Oh, <laughs> so it's part and parcel of it. I enjoy that experience. I love a good edit, so I do edit too much, but I find it fun. Um, I think even this morning, what did I send mine off two minutes before 2pm, uh, but that's because I was giving it my fourth edit uh, in 24 <laughs> hours. Um, but yeah, short stories, uh, particularly I, I like a bit of horror, a little bit of dark fantasy, a little bit of just the weird, new weird category. So that's, that's where I'll be going. Okay. And you, Tony? Uh, I'm just going to keep on writing short stories for sure. I love them. Um, and there's like a great kind of turnaround on them too. Like novels can, there's some scary stories about novels. Like you write it in like a year and then you don't hear back from them in like two years. Um, I'd like a shorter turnaround and, and keep on improving myself. So short stories for now and then maybe someday a novel, but it's going to be a short novel, honestly, maybe a novella. I don't have the patience for it, honestly. Um, yeah, short stories for me. Okay. So now... Do any of you have like the inclination to switch from earning your living on a day job to earning your living as a professional writer? I mean, that, that's always been the dream, <laughs> right? But uh, to make that reality is, is a long, long journey. I am tempted to take a bit of a break, you know, maybe six months if I can get it approved and et cetera, um, to do a lot of writing, a bit of traveling and, and see where that goes. So that's tempting, but to fully... Uh, become a professional writer overnight is is risky. You know, they, they kind of sure. say, make sure you've already got enough sales going on so that you will be safe before you make that switch. Yeah, well, there's there's that 20 books to 50K conference, which yes. that's based on it. Because I, I, I interviewed Michael Anderley. He was on the podcast uh, a few weeks back. He's the one that created that, con- that, that uh, workshop. And that formula he worked out to be able to get up to making $50,000 a year with 20 books. And he goes over that whole thing. Uh, when you listen to Kevin and Rebecca, Kevin Anderson, Rebecca Mesta, they have a whole thing on the business of writing and when do you quit the day job. For them, they had, they, um, <clears throat> they wait till they have a, they had a, a, a year's worth of entire expenses in the bank before they quit their day job. And they had already been writing, but they waited a whole year so that they, they could carry them until they were able to, you know, kick it going. There's something to be said to for making, a, I guess, a day job that involves the element of writing. Not that that necessarily will be as fun as your fiction, but I found once I started working communications, corporate communications, writing things for you know, copy for websites, my prose got tighter because I was practicing those writing muscles as a day job. So when I finally got a few hours to write something, um, you know, it just came. You know, we didn't have to worry so much about, right. you know, simple, efficient sentences. Uh, that's why you see so many journalists become authors eventually, uh, just because they've already got the skills. They don't have to do another 10 years. They only have to learn the fiction skills, which is right. probably already a few years, but still, they've got the pros down pat. Right. Yeah. And what about yourself, Michael? Um, yeah, look, again, it's always a, a nice dream, but I, I think I've very much accepted the reality that <laughs> uh, some sort of other income will be, um, you know, something ongoing, even even if things do take off a little bit more. Um, saying that, I 
I work part-time. I have uh, a day where I'm looking after kids in part, but it's also my day for writing. And so I suppose in some ways I have given up a little bit of income to dedicate some time to writing and uh, never regretted that. Um, I like the idea of taking some time off, but I think I'd have to have, you know, saying I'm not up to the novel state. I think that'd be the sort of thing if I had a, a good idea where I just wanted to sit down and, and nut it out. That might be a nice time to take some time off, but um, definitely continue working for the moment, I think, to support it. There's, that, there's that story of Gabriel Garcia Marquez was in the car with his family about to go off for holidays and he told them, no, nah, I've got an idea. We're not going. He grounded his family so that he could write an, a novel which became 100 Years of Solitude, which didn't talk off like crazy and became, you know, started magical realism or, you know, one of the significant works of magical realism. So, yeah, sometimes, not saying cancel your family's holiday <laughs> in order to write, yeah. but sometimes, yeah, taking a bit of time off, even if it's a few weeks to pump it out can be good. Yeah. And what about yourself? Um, I'm, I, it would be, it would, it would be amazing to kind of write full time, but you know what I mean? I might be in the, I like my job, actually, my full-time job that I have. So, What do you do? I'm a, I'm a product manager for a software company, so we do like some AI technology and stuff. Um, so it's actually a lot of fun and working with lots of creative, kind of like really smart people and stuff like that. So I actually really like it. So if I could do less of it but keep writing but still keep it, you know, um, so yeah. And then of course, you know, your dream is to be a full-time writer, but I would love to, I, my future is to keep both and be able to, to, to achieve kind of both of those realms. I have a new dream actually of, of writing for games. How good would that be? Yeah. Cause that's basically, there's a, there's a seminar do. tomorrow. On I know it. I'm going to yeah. hit that guy up and yeah. I'm like, dude, yeah, <laughs> I can get a visa. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, see how it goes. Yeah. Now one thing too is. Like Dean Wesley Smith, he'll write a lot of times, because Hubbard, did. he aspired when he was first studying, aspired to be more like, like Hubbard as an author, because he, he had a, um, a 92 words a minute create, creativity on writing stories. He'd you know, just write a story 92 words a minute. He could type like 140, but that's how, that was his creative speed. And um, like he says in one of the books that I gave you, he would write up to about 100,000 words a month, three hours a day, three days a week. And that was his. And those are like on gigantic typewriters too. We have like these smooth little computers where buttons are so easy to press. I can't even imagine. Yeah, A. Van Vogt told a story once about watching him write. And he put the paper and he, he looked toward the wall and just, just obviously he was envisioning the story and he just typed, he typed the story out. And when... Um, I was doing the proofreading for these stories from the Golden Age books that we're going to get you the copy of that, you know, the one that you that you wanted. Yeah. And um, but we were doing proofreading. All of a sudden, you'd see it would stop, and then you'd see it would start again. And because that was back in the day, you didn't have the ability to go back on word processing and delete and just move forward. There, he'd, he'd stop and he'd go back a page, and he'd type through a change. If he was if he dead end or something like that, he'd just he'd go back. To a point, a page earlier, he'd start typing again, and then he'd take it in whatever direction he wanted to go in. And that's, you know, we found, I didn't know that until I was proofreading the, from the original manuscripts to see what it was on there. But it was amazing. It was just his creative speed. And that's something that Dean will get into as well that 
when the f- story first goes down, it's got the most creation there. Everything's the freshest, and it's and the more you polish it, the more it'll, it'll say it'll, it'll get more subdued, more subdued because you get you know the the edginess of the of the story starts going away. Because he Dean's got a, a magazine that he publishes. He writes every story himself, and it's a monthly magazine. And uh, he said he hasn't met, missed an issue in however many years. <laughs> and then this last year, he had a goal he, on his 70th birthday. He wanted to publish 70 books on his 70th birthday, and he made his target. I mean, he is amazingly prolific. So he'll, we'll be talking to you tomorrow, and he's an amazing inspiration. Yeah, what I have over there, that's that's the first volume there, that that's Rise of Feature Volume 1. Oh, cool. Oh, that's what he's... Okay, that's yeah. his. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he's in that one. So is Nini Karika Hoffman, who will be speaking to you, I guess, tomorrow or Thursday. So on, um, in terms of advice that you would have then for the aspiring writer, either based upon what you know you're going to run into Australia or just what you ran into, period, you know, the things that you were almost ready to quit and then you did this to keep you from doing that. So what would you, what would you say to the aspiring writer that kind of helped preempt a strike on something that you had to overcome so that they don't have to? Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably already uh, on the right course because you, you've already figured out that you're not alone. I uh, figured out that there are resources out there to try and I guess, find talent. Um, and it can feel like there isn't, but it totally is contests like this uh searching for talent um so in the end just just try and keep having fun i was saying earlier yeah um keep submitting don't yeah i just i guess you got to get like rejection is just part of life i think what you were saying it's a terrible earlier tony it is it is but almost like if you understand that's the default right and yeah. anything more, more than a generic rejection letter is is good yeah that's true then then you that, and that's the mindset you have to, I guess, uh, take when when you start showing your work around. Once you go there, you can only you can only move forward. Uh, but yeah, and that, and then find try and find some some people like you because no doubt there are people like you in the area, and that can be a bit tricky. But uh, once you do, once you find some um, other people to th- throw work at and read their work, do you learn a lot from reading work, even if it's not even the best work? Because sometimes it you you learn from other people's mistakes, for example. Yeah, it'd be good if they read volume 36 because then they could find your story in there. You're saying my story's full of mistakes? Is that what you're <laughs> okay. uh, for example, yes, you can read um, all our stories. Actually, reading Rise of the Future is good because it's, it's a standard which is very high but not unattainable. If you, if you go straight to reading Asimov's, it can, be, it can be like alarmingly, like why is that story better than that story? It can just be a lot. And, but to read this work... Um, it kind of gives you a bit of a hope, I guess. Like one day you can get there and totally you can. It's the only publication that will publish 12 new, sometimes 13 or 14 new writers a year. You know, none of these Asimovs, they do, I think I was told they do one new name a year. Yeah, only a couple. They basically, they're just trying to look for the best stories. And so you're competing with the people who have been in the field for 40 years, 50 years, you're competing yeah. with our judges down there today. Yeah, they're the know, ones that are difficult. going to be finding an Asimovs. And they, but I think it was, one of the judges told me that Asimovs, well, I think he said one a year, maybe it's a couple, but it's, it's nominal at best. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
So what about yourself, senor? Yeah. Um, so I think I said earlier, one of my problems early on was just, you know, not knowing you could send out to these magazines. So I, I do think like if you've got a bit of a love of writing, um, uh, genuinely, you know, sure, everyone does it for themselves, but ultimately you want to entertain others. You want to get your thoughts out there. Um, so submitting them, there's a whole range of magazines. So getting online to Submission Grinder or paying for Duotrope, um, seeing where to send them. I think competitions like Writers of the Future is fantastic. It's free. They'll accept anyone to put into it. Uh, doesn't cost you anything to go into that. Um, but there's also a range of sort of magazines out there and you want to get as red as possible. So yeah, you aim for your Asimovs, but there are a lot of smaller, hardworking people um, all around various um, countries around the world doing small magazines that are still getting your stories out for a readership. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the worst thing to be just starting off with, even knowing someone's willing to pay you $5 to send it out to their 100 readers is still a good feeling. Um, Chris touched on it, but rejection letters, yeah, don't don't get to and give up. Um, uh, I think you said before, John, even the... the Great authors have got a whole collection of them. Um, mm -hmm. I've read Stephen King's on writing probably too many times and he talked about a nail he used to have that spurred him on, which was just thick with old rejection letters. Um, and he, you know, one of my heroes, one of the greats. And so to hear that, I think, encourages you. Um, so, yeah, don't get turned off by rejection letters. And then keep honing your craft and keep talking to people, keep taking those lessons. I think the, the online course is an amazing offering from the writers of the future. Um, things like that to keep improving. And then if you love it, keep doing it, keep sending them out. And eventually I think um, people can improve and start getting picked up. Good. And yourself, Tony? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I could add on anything to what these guys said already, other than just like, in your kind of heart, like it's going to be really hard being a writer and getting rejected after rejection after rejection. So like, I don't know, in your heart of despair, know that, you know, others like us who have been there have been able to, Get get here and 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 through submitting and through reading at writers of the future, you can actually get to the point where um, you can get your your work published, get your name out there, um, and just know that others can. If if we can do it, it sounds bad, but if we can do it, you know, you can you can you can do it as uh, yourself, and it's totally possible. Uh, you know, I'm not paid to say this. It's I'm not like a uh, like a, a fake person or whatever. It's like, um, you know, I struggled as well and it's, it can get very dark because it's your own personal work that gets rejected in some cases horribly. And, um, uh, you know, you, you can do it. It's, it's, it's possible. That's why, we're, that's why we're all here. Good, yeah. And one thing that seems between all three of you as a common denominator is persistence, not giving up. And that's that, you know, not to fall into the trap of saying, oh, I'll never get it. You know, it's, yeah. it, it very much could be that next story. You never know unless you actually submit the next story and you keep on doing it. But the thing, too, is that a writer becomes a writer by writing. And if you think you're going to write a story and expect it's all of a sudden you're going to be recognized as a writer is, um, I wouldn't say call it foolish, but it's, it's not going to do you any good to have that expectation. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's been been many of the writers that say be willing to throw away your first million words, you know, to build your voice. Yeah, it's interesting. I did uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, people I studied with my peers that did the masters. I feel like the masters made everyone into perfectionists, and so they've spent ages on one 
novel or they spend like six months on one story, but that story might just not have the right topic or it might be you know, structurally irredeemable. You can write more and more and more and you'll learn by producing more work rather than trying to refine just the one thing. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that when Owen um, Hubbard went to, I think it was Harvard, and he was a guest speaker because he was a very famous Pulp Fiction writer. And so he went to the creative writing class and he saw there, they'd gone through and they'd circled his writing and talked, okay, this is exposition and this is all these different, you know, terms for what he was doing. He, I don't know. That's not what I, he was thinking of at all, that he was telling a story. And so he told them, because they'd been working on their story for the semester. And he said, it's like, you need to, you need to be writing like 100,000 words. And they just, he said they went apoplectic, you know, just... He was not invited back, you know, because they had their one, that was their story, their creative writing story. And he's, no, you've got to write. A writer has to write and write and write. And so, you know, he had, I mean, he wrote millions and millions and millions of words, but it got, because he did that, he was able to sit down and write a first draft story to submit with that they would just publish. You know, he wrote Battlefield Earth, 425,000 words in eight months. He went on the next year and wrote, uh, Mission Earth, 1.2 million words. All 10 books became New York Times bestsellers, also in eight months, on two manual typewriters. You know, so... Yeah. You know, I don't know how was, you can do that, honestly. But, yeah. He uh, used know, one I, typewriter until yeah. it broke, and he sent it to a repair <laughs> shop and do the other typewriter, and he just he rotates the two typewriters. I'm still not at the point where I can, like, write everything through, and then bang, that's <laughs> that's it. i got to revise, edit, revise. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty astounding that I can yeah. just... Crack it out in one go, and it's perfect. But anyway, uh, we're a couple minutes over the hour slot. I knew we would just be going, this would go lickety-split here on this. But anyway, it's been great talking to you guys. And I'm really hoping that people in Australia listen to this. The rest of the world, too. But I really wanted to get a message to Australia because it's such a big country and so spread out that it's easy to miss the fact that there are other like-minded people there who would love to team up with you and share, you know, their love of science fiction and fantasy and being able to create it. And um, you're not alone out there in anywhere in the world, but in Australia as well. So there you have it. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks. guys. And uh, yeah, just if anyone, like if anyone has any questions, anyone, you know, wants to reach out, um, you know, I'm always help. I'm, you know, I'm always happy to help anyone. Uh, you know, I used to be an aspiring author too, and I'd like to think that, you know, people help me along the way. So yeah, uh, you can find my details at cwinspear.com. Great. And Michael? Yeah, I've got a website at uh, michael-s-gardner.com. Um, so there, it's got my details there uh, where I've been published and, and that sort of thing. Excellent. And Tony? My, my website is ja-becker.com. JA-Becker.com. Yeah. Okay, good. I my details there. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you very much for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. The Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere else on Amazon. 
Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elrond Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Chris, Michael, and Tony. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, guys.